This message was presented at the GYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Let me begin by looking at, and we're not going to do a lot of exhaustive Bible reference or spirit of prophecy reference in this hour. I'm just going to tell you some basic inner workings of the church, which are basically founded upon Scripture and the spirit of prophecy. But this is more of a practical, how the church works kind of presentation. However, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40. I think it's a verse familiar to all of you, and I apply it to the church. Let all things be done decently and what? In order. You know, God in heaven has everything so organized that he knows from the minutest atom to the largest movement what is happening. Everything is ordered according to his will. And he intends for the church to be that way as well. Now, the church organization is based on a very spiritual and a very biblical approach and foundation and tone. You know, this is not just some big corporation. It is that to a certain extent. Uh, we have legal bodies, we have administrative function, we have all kinds of things that, that take place in a very uh, organized manner. So it is corporate in its approach at times. But it is not just a corporation. It is truly a spiritual organization. And it must be that. Everything must be founded upon God's word and the wonderful counsel we received in the spirit of prophecy. It is the object of God's greatest attention. He could have used other means to accomplish the task of bringing his message to the billions of people on this earth, but he has chosen to use the church and you and me. And leadership and membership must be involved in a very spiritual approach, in Bible study, in following the counsels of the spirit of prophecy, in intense prayer, and in listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's why revival and reformation is so important, not just for local church members, not just for GYC attendees, but for ministers, for leaders, for general conference personnel, for division, union, local conference, everybody. There's nothing, any, anything different between your experience and my experience because we are all sinners at the foot of the cross. So revival and reformation is key to preparing God's church for the very final times which I believe we are actually in. I really believe 
that Jesus is coming soon. I really believe that the church is about to enter a period of time when it will see incredible evangelistic explosion, but also incredible resistance by the devil using every means possible. Now, this is not a seminar on that, but I'm just telling you my own personal conviction. We must remember, as we talk now, about practical ways in which the Seventh-day Adventist Church functions and how you, as a young person, fit into it. We must remember, this is absolutely crucial, that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the remnant church of the Lord. Thank you for the lights that brings clarity to the situation. <laughs> that this church is called of God. That this is a unique movement with a unique people called in a special way with a unique message and a unique mission. And that, of course, is focused uh, most dramatically in Revelation 14 and also Revelation 18. We are to lift up Christ and his righteousness. Now, we're just laying a foundation here for how the church works. I don't want you to get the idea that there's some kind of magic formula that, you know, we can do this and this and achieve this. It is based on a spiritual understanding of how we relate to God and the end time movement. And so Christ must be first and foremost, and Christ and his righteousness must be what is seen in all of us as we work within the church. That is the core of the three angels' messages, Christ's righteousness. Let's not get tripped up in all kinds of, of strange understanding that if we understand the chart this way or if we do it this way or that everything's going to unfold because we are so brilliant. We must focus upon Christ's righteousness and our submission to him and then his power working in us will then develop the final end time movement. Now, the charts, and of course, prophecy is all part of that, but it is Christ and his righteousness that is most important. The three angels' messages, the sanctuary service, the Sabbath, his soon coming. Now, the Seventh-day Adventist Church evolved from no organization, absolutely zero, a very loosely confederated group, to the current setting of cooperative organization that we have. Now, I'm not going to read you much today or refer too much in the spirit of prophecy, but let me just read from Testimonies to Ministers and Gospel Workers. I'm reading through this book personally. If you want something that will challenge you in almost every area, whether you're a minister or not, it says ministers and gospel workers. All of us can be gospel workers, right? Read this book. It's absolutely incredible. Anyway, page 26 of Testimonies to Ministers. A couple paragraphs. Just to give you an understanding of how the church moved to where it is now. As our numbers increased, it was evident that without some form of organization, there would be great confusion. And the work would not be carried forward successfully. 
to provide for the support of the ministry for carrying the work in new fields, for protecting both the church and the ministry from unworthy members, for holding church property, for the publication of the truth through the press, and for many other objects, organization was indispensable. So you see, as they developed from just a loose group that didn't want to have any creed, didn't want to have anything that bound them, just the Word of God, which the Word of God is to be our foundation, absolutely. But they were opposed. They were almost anti-organization. But they soon found out that they needed some kind of organization to make the work move. Yet there was strong feeling against it among our people. The first-day Adventists were opposed to organization, and most of the Seventh-day Adventists entertained the same ideas. We sought the Lord with earnest prayer. Now that's a key for anything that you're facing in your own local church or institution. Prayer. It's vital. And so says, we sought the Lord with earnest prayer that we might understand his will, and light was given by his Spirit that there must be order and thorough discipline in the church, that organization was essential. System and order are manifest in all the works of God throughout the universe. Order, this is the last sentence, order is the law of heaven, and it should be the law of God's people on the earth order. Now that doesn't mean everybody marching, you know, like little automatons without thinking, but it means a submissiveness to the Word of God and the impression of the Holy Spirit and the counsel of the Spirit of Prophecy to bring about order so that the mission can be accomplished. Today we have all kinds of things that help to bring, quotes, order into the church. I brought with me, increased my weight load on the airplane, but that's okay. We have the working policy of the General Conference. Now that looks like a formidable book. And it has all kinds of regulations and policies concerning everything you can think about. And if you come up with something that isn't covered in here, then probably they're working on it. Uh, it, uh, it is a big book and covers many different topics. Now, working policies, that sounds so dry and so bureaucratic, but really what it is, these are just general agreements that we have made together as to how to accomplish the mission of the church. And the General Conference Executive Committee, you can change uh, a working policy at an annual council of the General Conference, which is only once a year. You can't change it at a spring meeting. You can't change it at a General Conference uh, committee that may be called at any time. It has to be at the time of the annual council when all delegates come from the 13 world divisions and our one attached union, the Middle East North Africa Union. When they all come, and of course, every union president is a member of the executive committee of the General Conference, then you can change working policy or add to the working policy. So it is something that we do collectively from all over the world. It's not something done just in a back corner somewhere with no one knowing what's going on. We have also 
the church manual. If you're not acquainted with the church manual, um, I think you can buy it in an ABC or certainly online. The church manual is something which local churches use to keep order in the local church. And it is something so important that you can't change this at an annual council. It can only be changed at a general conference session, once every five years. So at San Antonio, in a year and a half, hardly seems possible that another general conference session is coming about. Um, we hope and pray that the Lord will come even before San Antonio. But if he doesn't, we'll have another general conference session. And at that time, you will see some changes that will come in. Usually there are small modifications and that kind of thing. So that governs the local church. Then we also have a minister's handbook, which has lots of good information for pastors and, uh, and other materials that help to keep the church functioning in order. We have the fundamental beliefs, which now number 28 fundamental beliefs. Uh, these are essentially beliefs which we have had for decades, but which have been codified first in 1980 and then more recently an additional one added, not that it was a new one, it simply incorporated prayer in an area that would focus upon the tremendous challenges, especially in areas where spiritualism is so strong and that God's power is stronger than satanic influence. But we have fundamental beliefs. We have administrative organizational systems. We have institutions. We have over 500 uh, local conferences and missions. We have over 120 unions around the world. We have 13 world divisions. And we have the general conference. Now let me just state that all of these organizations work together in a setting, and this is so critical, I cannot underscore it more. They all work together, not just because we've voted a lot of stuff and you have to follow it this way. We work in a beautiful setting, normally, of genuine, loving trust in each other and in this message. And if church members, and most specifically administrators of the church organizations, do not exercise this humble trust in each other, then we can have challenges and problems. If there are organizations that decide to kind of, you know, kind of ignore the policy and say, no, I know a better way, I'm going to go my own way, and they have an independent approach, then we have challenges. And we have to pray a lot. We have to talk a lot. We have to work a lot. We have to try and bring the group together. And sometimes we actually have to take votes that will help people to come closer. But basically, this church is based on mutual trust, trust in God and in each other. There's one thing I, that you need to know also. As how your church works. The general conference cannot do everything. You have to recognize that. 
A division can't do everything. A union can't do everything. Or a local conference. Or a local church. We all work together in a kind of symbiotic relationship. There are constituencies that are involved. There are executive committees that are involved. When a conference becomes a conference and not a mission, then, of course, they have their own, uh, their own ability to accomplish certain things and legal aspects which are not uh, which, which do not permit other organizations to force them. Now, there are ways in which to bring people back into the center and back into a, a more harmonious relationship if there's a problem, but you cannot force certain organizations to do certain things because of the way the church is structured. Constituencies, even a local church, when you have a, a church business meeting, uh, the conference cannot come in and overrule that business meeting. Only a church can transfer church members. The conference can't, the union can't. Only a local church has the privilege of taking a vote to transfer or deny transfer of a local church membership. So there are certain things which each organization can do and cannot do. I want to tell you, though, regardless of what we are facing or will be facing, because let me tell you, whatever the church is facing now, and we face a lot of challenges, but I want to tell you there are a lot of wonderful things that the Lord is doing. Uh, but the challenges we're facing are nothing compared to what we will face. And as we learned this morning in our devotional, we need to study this word. This is what is going to be the foundation of how we proceed for the future. The Word of God is so important. Now, in terms of our approach as well, before I get into some, very, some rather specific things, a, an attitude of humility and an attitude of submissiveness is so important for the church and for you as you approach how to affect your church, how to put something into practice or into effect in your church and how you can affect your church. It depends on your humility and your submissiveness to God's will. Now, a few words about some specifics that help to make up this, this uh, complex organization that we call the church. We have institu institutions. Institutions are some of the most important facets of our work that help the 18 million plus members. We've now passed the mark of 18 million church members just in the last few months. By God's grace, the church will continue to grow, but we have to make sure that our new, our new church members fully understand what they've come into Amen. and what the great, the great mission is of this church and what the foundation is. But institutions were established for the sole purpose 
to nurture the mission of the church and to train young people to be part of that mission. Now we have so many uh, professional disciplines today that uh, graduates of our schools can't always find employment within the church. So I'm not speaking specifically about the employment in, church, in the church because many of you represent disciplines outside of church employment. But God has asked that our institutions train young people to be the foremost missionaries in whatever line of discipline they find themselves. And so that's really what institutions are for. Institutions should never allow themselves, nor the church allow them, to become an end in themselves. Institutions are solely there for the mission of the church. In terms of evangelism and mission, evangelism and mission should always be the lifeblood of the church. It is the purpose of the church to lift up Christ and his mission for this planet. Never let anything, as a young person in a local church or an institution, keep always before you and before those who work with you and your teachers and administrators and pastors and others, always let the mission of the church to proclaim the three angels' messages and the fourth angel of Revelation 18 be the focus of why this church exists. We're to lift up Christ in all of that and to understand that the mission of the church should never be obscured by anything else. In all of this, we need balance. Balance is needed. Let your moderation be known. Don't run to one side of the road and ride some hobby horse that is so peculiar that you miss all of the other beautiful things within the church and what the Lord has in store for us. Don't fall into the, into the trap of falling into the ditch on one side or the other. Stay in the focus and the middle of the road in terms of God's great proclamation of this message. The devil will try to get you to become fanatical about something on one side or the other. It could be very conservative, it could be very liberal. Resist it. Ask the Lord to help you to bring balance into your own life and into the way the local church operates. The Bible is the absolute foundation of church organization and activity. The hermeneutics, how you explain the Bible, is what is at stake within the church today. Historical, biblical, or historical, grammatical, you can use both of those terms, that is the approach the church has used and will continue to use. As opposed to a lot of other variants, uh, one of the primary uh, ways that most of the world that looks at religious things uh, uses is the historical critical approach, which in essence puts the analyst and the scholar or an individual above the Word of God. 
It allows you to say, well, yes, that was done at a certain time. The conditions were such and such. Uh, therefore, that does not apply to us today because of such and such. And pretty soon, you will be carving up your Bible, and you will have very little left. So we allow verse upon verse, precept upon precept. We allow the Bible to interpret itself. We are also historicists. We are people who understand that God composed things in such a way that history provides verification of his word. We are not futurists when it comes to prophetic understanding. We are not uh, in any way preterists. We are historicists. And that, again, is a critical factor for the future as the Seventh-day Adventist Church moves ahead and in your own local setting. The spirit of prophecy is absolutely vital for our growth, and some places do not give respect or credence to the spirit of prophecy. And I have to say, and this may sound judgmental, but most places that ignore or put down the spirit of prophecy are not growing. The spirit of prophecy, I've said it so many times, and you may know it by heart, it is one of the greatest gifts given to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Just pick it up and read it, and you will find that it absolutely brings clarity to so many situations. So don't fall into the trap of ignoring the spirit of prophecy. Now, the role of the local church and the congregation. First of all, I want to say that you must, as one of your first obligations, pray for your local church, for your pastor, for the locally elected leaders of your church, for the outreach of your church. The local church role in the Seventh-day Adventist church is absolutely crucial. Without local Seventh-day Adventist churches, and all of us belong to one of those. I belong to one. A precious little church. It's not a big church. It's a wonderful church that um, our speaker this morning, if she had entered that church, she would have gotten an awful lot of encouragement and affirmation. I'm sorry she had that experience in that one church where nobody said anything to her. Don't ever let anybody walk into your local church without having at least five people be able to say, yes, I greeted that visitor. Amen. You need to make people feel very much at home and warm when they come to your local church. Amen. But the local church plays an absolutely critical role. It nurtures us. It also helps in guarding our teaching and our practice. A solid local church is key to the solid platform of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in general. Don't just look at the general conference. Oh, they'll, they'll make sure everything's okay. No, it begins at the local church where you are. So by God's grace, work in a very singular way in helping evangelistic outreach to take place in your local church. Participate in your local church. Encourage your church to have worship services that bring glory to God and not glory to human beings. 
I don't believe that God can work in a very powerful way when our worship services tend towards highly, I'm not saying you can't have emotion in the church service, it ought to be there, but there's a difference between sanctified emotionalism and hyper-Pentecostalism. <laughs> and I just don't think that God works in a chaotic situation where people are so involved in emotion and in rock music and other things which take away the focus from, from what Revelation 4 talks about. If you have any question about what a worship service ought to be, read Revelation 4. There are not a lot of verses in that chapter, but it gives you a, a clearer picture of what uh, worship is all about. Now, the church works through meetings. Um, whether it's in the local church and the conference, the union, the division, the general conference, we have executive committees. These executive committees are selected in a representative way. Some of the people are on there because of positions. Others are selected because they have been nominated as leading laypersons lay or whatever it might be. We work with business and constituency meetings. Your local church has a business meeting. Probably one of the least attended meetings in a church is a business meeting. I encourage you as young GYC attendees, attend the business meeting of your local church. Get involved. That's where you can help to, you can raise questions. You can do it with a smile, not a critical spirit, but with love and help the church to move ahead. We work in a committee system within the church and a representative system, as I mentioned. These are the ways that things get done. And there's one thing that you must learn. It works in every organization. It is not just at public meetings that things can be influenced. It is in personal meetings with key leaders. If you have a burden, if you have a challenge, go and talk to the pastor. Go talk to the head elder. Go and talk to other elders. Talk to the Sabbath school superintendent. Talk to the people who are involved in helping to make things happen. More happens, to be honest, in the hallways of offices than in committee rooms. Because as you talk and as you unburden your heart in a simple one-to-one -one setting, the Holy Spirit can help to influence a leader. Never think that an email that you send, a simple conversation that you have, does not have some effect on the person to which you are speaking. I know the emails and the personal conversations do have an effect on me. Work in a spirit of prayer. Bible study and spirit of prophecy, counsel and trust. We work as much as possible within the church on a consensus basis. There is no reason why we ought to set up two sides and always be fighting and lobbing grenades at each other and then take a vote and, ah, we won by two votes. That's not the way God wants the church to work. 
Sometimes we have to take a vote in terms of finding how the entire group is lining up. But generally speaking, the best way to approach it is on our knees, in intense Bible study, and asking the Holy Spirit to help us through the situation, whether it is the color of the carpet in a local church or whether it is women's ordination. On our knees, Bible study, and asking the Lord to guide us, to bring us into some kind of consensus. Now, it may not be possible all the time to have consensus, but that's the best way. Voting comes under God's guidance at a time when a decision has to be made. And we use that system effectively within the church. The local church, all the way to the general conference session. Functioning bodies that actively are being participated in by you and by everyone make the church dynamic. And we have to underscore the fact that we don't today have Ellen White with us in person. We do have good counsel, but we can't ask Ellen White. And many times God didn't work through Ellen White this way. She didn't get an answer. They had to spend time praying. They had to spend time talking and discussing and searching the scriptures. And then the Lord revealed it to them. But we don't have Ellen White to just simply ask, well, what should we do in this situation? We don't have the Urim and the Thummim, you know, on the breastplate of the high priest. You asked a question, and it, my guess is it had to be a pretty important question to ask. And one lit up if it was yes, and the other one clouded over if it was no. We don't have that. But we are told in the spirit of prophecy that a decision that is made, and I'm paraphrasing it, at a general conference session, when all representatives are present, and in San Antonio we will probably have over 2,700 official delegates from all over the world. When a decision is made, it is a decision of the highest order and ought to be accepted and that we need to submit our own thoughts to what the large body decides. So how is it that you can make changes in your own local church or in your institution? I think you would start with talking with the pastor or with the elder. You would pray and you would share. You would send letters or emails. Call people on the phone. And then when the answer is finally given, don't be defiant. Don't be independent. But in a spirit of true submissiveness, look at the big picture and say, Lord, you know what ought to happen, and I submit to your authority. Whether it's at the local church or whether it is the world church in general. Let me give you a few examples, and I'm going to speak for about another 10 minutes, and then we'll take 
some questions and answers. Some examples. Let's say in the local church, you see some challenge in the Sabbath school. You know, unfortunately, in the Western countries of the world, Sabbath school attendance is dramatically decreasing. I don't know why people just kind of show up for church. I'm really not sure why they come for church when they couldn't come for Sabbath school because, in my opinion, Sabbath school is the most exciting part of the whole church worship experience. You get to sit down unless you've got a, and I hope your Sabbath school class is not just another didactic setting where somebody gives another sermon. It ought to be a time where you read the Bible together, you comment on those verses, you follow the Sabbath school lesson, you, you understand the dynamics that are happening, and then you make it personal and practical. Sabbath school ought to be one of the most dynamic parts of our Sabbath experience. But maybe you see something in Sabbath school that needs to be changed in your local church. So how would you go about doing that? Well, you could begin with the pastor and say, you know, I've got a real burden on this. Our youth group is meeting, but we hardly have any time to, to study the Word. We just, you know, they, they, they filter in by about 10, 20, and we just spend... 15 minutes talking about, you know, the football game that took place last week or something, and we just aren't doing anything. Talk to the pastor. Talk to the Sabbath school superintendent. Uh, talk to the Sabbath school council. Talk to the church board. Be a young person that has a burden for the spiritual health of your local church. Amen. If you really are, you know, frustrated about something and complaining about something, um, do something about it. Don't just complain. Let's take another example. And I run a little risk by doing this, but I'll, I'll, I'll just share with you briefly uh, the challenge that we're facing regarding uh, whether or not to ordain women to the gospel ministry. And uh, it's interesting the perspectives that you get from uh, different people, especially in relation to uh, what I'm supposed to be doing or the general conference, you know. No, they're meddling too much or they're not doing enough. You know, I mean, you just get a whole array of things. Let me tell you, when you're dealing with a challenging problem, you need to work methodically, carefully, in a Christ-like way, and then allow God to work in that whole process. So what we've done is to set up uh, a committee called the Theology of Ordination Study Committee, which has already met two times. It'll meet again this month, and then it'll meet in the month of June. It will render a report or reports to the annual council of this year, 2014, the Annual Council will be fully informed of all of the research that has taken place on both sides of the question. And then they will decide whether to forward this question to the General Conference session in San Antonio. And, of course, uh, we have to work carefully as we look at all of the data that has come in. There are many people who genuinely 
are working on both sides of the question. For us to point fingers at people and tell them that they are not genuinely interested in the church if they don't agree with our particular viewpoint is not a Christ-like approach. But I do believe God has an answer. And I absolutely, personally believe that it is found right in here. And I have my own personal convictions, and I might say that I have not been publicly expressing those because I want this process to work in an appropriate way. Uh, at some time, certainly I will probably express my views, but all of us have to remember to do things in the most Christ-like manner, to allow the Holy Spirit to so fill us that self is put down and that only Christ is glorified. I tell you, though, actually the biggest question about that subject, or it could be about any subject, to be honest. And this is the biggest question, and we will be preparing not only delegates, but the entire world church for it. What will happen when we finally do take a vote? And the result of the vote is not in accordance with your way of thinking whether it is on one side or the other of the question. What do you do? Do you become defiant? Do you go independent? Or do you submit to what the Lord's church has indicated and say, Lord, you must have an answer. Let's keep moving forward together in the understanding that John 17, that beautiful prayer that Christ proclaimed not only for his disciples, but for all who would follow after them, so that's for all of us, that we would be in unity as he and the Father are one. You know, as I read the Spirit of Prophecy and recognize in the very end of time, and certainly Scripture is, um, is certainly pointing to that as well, God's church will be oppressed, will be attacked and persecuted, but it will be united in the great mission that Christ has for it. And so we have no reason to fear that in the future the church will be so disintegrated that it can't pro proclaim its mission. But we're going to be preparing people for how do you respond when a decision doesn't go your way. It doesn't matter whether it's women's ordination or whether it's the color of the carpet in the local church. How do you respond? Uh, a third uh, example, we are in the process of adjusting fundamental belief number six, which has to do with creation, to make it very plain as to what the words actually mean. You know, it's amazing. There are those who can try to, to parse words in such a way that they actually take on a meaning other than what the intended meaning was. And probably you will never come to a 100% conclusion as to how something can be explained so that everyone understands it the same way. But we are attempting to make sure that uh, our beautiful understanding of creation, uh, 
that it was accomplished in six uh, days that are similar to our days. We're not going to use the words 24 hours. Someone told me, well, what if it was 23 hours and 49 minutes or 59 minutes? Well, we don't want to get into all that stuff, but days that are like ours, that it was done recently. Spirit of Prophecy says 6,000 years or so. That's what I believe. But uh, we're not going to say specifically the exact year, but there's a huge difference between recently and deep time, which most uh, theistic evolutionists and evolutionists believe. So how are we going about that? Biblical Research Institute has done a very careful work. We had a small committee that then presented to our Biblical Research Institute committee. They then presented to many other uh, scholars. It has gone to all the divisions. It was voted as a preliminary change at our last annual council. We have a full year before 2014 when people will be viewing and looking and sending in recommendations. And at the 2014 annual council, <clears throat> excuse me, we will then vote to recommend to the general conference session the exact wording of fundamental number six. This is not done in a closet somewhere apart from an entire world church looking on. This is done in a very careful, uh, methodical way. What happens when things are going in the wrong direction and you don't believe that things are right with the church? Your local church or the general conference or the world church. First of all, pray. Prayer can change a multitude of things. Then talk and reason with people. And then be patient. Trust in God. You know, there's one phrase that just so encourages me, and I've seen it come true in so many respects over my brief lifespan. And I might look like an old person to you, but I still have a, a, the heart of a young person. And... Uh, there's this little phrase, truth will always prevail. Have trust in what God will do. Truth will ultimately come about. So don't forget as you work in your local church or in your conference, in your institution, that this is a unique movement, a unique people, a unique message, a unique mission. That we're to lift up righteousness by faith, lift up Christ, his Sabbath, his sanctuary message, his second coming, the books of Daniel and Revelation, the 2300 days, the state of the dead, Revelation 12, 13, 14, 18, and 19, so many aspects that help to make this church unique and will give you the reason why you ought to be involved in helping to formulate an approach to helping your church stay on track. If you take away this understanding, there is absolutely no reason for this movement. We might as well be part of a general Christian body. Never, ever give up this precious concept that we are a unique movement called of God. Have complete trust in God's guidance, total commitment to him, total acceptance 
of Christ and his righteousness and a realization that we will go through great difficulty, but the church will look as if it is about to fall, but it will not. The Lord will preserve it. When facing problems, whether in your local church or you're frustrated with the whole world church, be Christ-like and patient. Don't lash out at people. Let your beautiful Christ-like spirit speak louder than even the words that you are uttering. Speak truth in love. And the greatest way to help the church function is to prayerfully be involved. Be involved in your local church. Focus on God's word and his mission. I mean, we could spend another hour or two talking about all kinds of things. Mission to the cities, which has just taken off all over the world. New York City, we had a fantastic experience there. It's being replicated all over the world. Thousands of cities are being now attacked. Well, I say that in a nice way. <laughs> Through the power of the Holy Spirit, because that is what God has asked us to do. Uh, revived by his word. I don't know if you're following reading the chapters in the Bible every day. I am. And uh, it's just a wonderful thing to revive ourselves. 777, praying for the latter reign of the Holy Spirit. The Great Controversy Project. It's exciting. We're going to be able to go uh, door to door today, and I'm going to join you. I'll be there with you. And uh, Great Controversy. What a, you know how many... How many great controversies or great hope or variations, children's versions and everything else? About 140 million copies have now been distributed worldwide. And that doesn't include about 25 million downloads of the great controversy. Comprehensive health ministry. I'm going to ask Don McIntosh. Just give him about two minutes here, Don. I, I'm... I'm running out of time myself here, but uh, Don McIntosh is with Weimar and is very much involved with comprehensive health ministry, which is one of the most important components to the final loud cry. And it is tied up tremendously with mission to the city's council that the Spirit of Prophecy has given. I won't take much time except to say that Thanks, Don. We appreciate you very much. Uh, I'll close here because we'll try and take at least two questions. Um, this is the most incredible movement to ever belong to, the Advent movement. Amen. Don't leave these doors without feeling affirmed that this is God's movement. 
regardless of what may happen, regardless of votes that are taken, regardless of frustration that you face, this is God's movement, and it will soon culminate in Christ's glorious appearing. And I'm just going to finish with three verses from Revelation 21. Very familiar, but this is, this is what real order and things done decently means. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. We don't have to wait for that new Jerusalem to come down. God is our God, and he will be with us even in the incredible challenges we face ahead. Be part of God's dynamic church. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.